Welcome to Crime on Caffeine. I'm your host, Erica. And I'm your host, Allison. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. Today, we'd be sipping on a special little coffee that Erica found. It is called Survive Coffee Company, and they are coffee supporting mental health. We got the chocolate hazelnut, guys. And wow. Why do you sound so unexcited about my flavor choices? Because I don't like flavored coffee. But I will say, you did a good job. Because this one, it do be slapping. Hazelnut is my favorite. And I was craving chocolate. So it's like best of both worlds. I don't think I've ever had like chocolate hazelnut coffee in my life. So this is very exciting. I agree. I've never had chocolate hazelnut coffee. But I will say this. I love Nutella. And that is what it reminds me of. Oh, oh my gosh. I'm so stupid. I didn't even like put that yeah, together. chocolate hazelnut. Duh. 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 Well, if you guys want to check it out... um. Really awesome cause. 10% of all purchases donated to the National Alliance on Mental Illness and uh, to Mental Health America. So really awesome cause and really awesome coffee. Yeah, I really like this. I think I'm going to have a few a few cups today. <laughs> <laughs> um, we also just wanted to say thank you so yeah. much for 8,000 downloads. This is so crazy, guys. I know. We've only been doing this for like six months. I feel like next episode we're going to be at 10,000. That's so crazy. I know. That's weird to think about, but also like super cool. And we love you guys. And this is crazy. And did we tell you guys that our podcast has been downloaded in every single continent? Every single continent. Yeah, we're on every continent now. So thank you to all of our American listeners. Thank you to all of our Everybody listen, our world listeners. We worldwide. Yeah, worldwide. And we want to do more cases from other countries because I feel like we don't know that many. Um, I know we did Australia before, um, but to all of our listeners in other countries, other continents, give us some ideas because we really want to cater to you guys and, you know, we want to be worldwide. Get a little diverse. Yeah. Yeah, we want to be worldwide. So. Give us, give us the tea, the international tea. <laughs> I can't stop thinking in my head, uh, Mr. Worldwide, Pitbull. <laughs> Mr. 305. I just keep saying in my head, Dali. <laughs> it's my favorite thing to say. I personally don't have any true crime updates. Do you have any true crime updates? Nah. Nah. We got nothing for you, but we do got something for you. And I don't even know what it is because as you remember from the end of our last episode, Erica is shady and she didn't tell me what she was doing for the 80th time. I, you just have to, this is the new, this is the new process. I do a case. I don't tell you what it is. I talk about it to you throughout the week and you have no (laughs) idea what I'm talking about. I texted her and I go, disappeared, blank and blank, guess. (laughs) She was like, what the hell? Yeah, like I would know exactly what you're talking about. No, I wasn't planning on doing this case ever until I stumbled upon it. And just cases that are connected. Oh, I need to know. I need to know. So I thought you guys needed to know. I'm on a need to know basis. Today, we will be talking about the disappearances of Terrence Williams and Felipe Santos. Okay. Well, lucky for you, I would have never guessed this because I don't know much about it. So this is news to me. That's a very similar 
I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Other people would have that some like I, that yes, same. Yes, but I think that this is a case that absolutely needs more attention because it we need to figure out what the hell happened. So I'm here. We're I'm gonna ready. drop some petitions to reopen some cases. Make sure you guys check those out. But let's get started. So Terrence Williams was born on January 17th, 1976, in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was raised by his mother, Marcia Williams. I am hoping that's how you pronounce it. I know you can pronounce it multiple ways. That's what we're going to say today. His father left when he was just a toddler. According to Disappeared in 1995, Williams was arrested and found guilty for robbery. And he was sentenced to about a year in prison along with probation. And then he got a DUI slash driving with a revoked license. So he ended up spending 50 days in jail for that. He has four children and he was like, you know what? I want to get my life together so I can start, give them money so that they can have a future, have some opportunities. He decided to move to East Naples, Florida. He wanted to be closer to his mother who lived down there. Wow. Yeah, I know. I feel like Florida comes up in a lot of our cases. Yeah, well, I'm not shocked. <laughs> Me either. Um, <laughs> but like I said, he wanted to move down there, get his act together, get a job, start paying child support. So he got a job at Pizza Hut in Bonita Springs. His license was still suspended from the DUI at this point. Like I said, he was hoping to make enough money so he'd be able to start paying child support. He still owed $5,000 in back pay, and he had a hearing for this issue, and that was set for January 14th, 2004. So around midnight on January 11th, 2004, Terrence wanted to go to a party at one of his coworkers' houses. Um, obviously, he can't drive. So he asked his roommate if his roommate wanted to go. He said no. So Terrence was like, okay, well, I really want to go. <laughs> so instead of just like asking his roommate to drop him off, Terrence took his brand new car, which is a Cadillac, and he drove himself, even though... License was suspended and registration was invalid. So at the party, they drank, had a good time. Uh, the, it was just like him and his co-workers, chill party, um, stayed up all night, and he left there at around 6 a.m. And his vehicle actually wasn't found until January 16th. So between 9 and 10 a.m., Williams was pulled over near Naples Memorial Cemetery by Stephen Calkins, who was a deputy at the Collier County Sheriff's Department. Calkins ran the VIN number of Williams' Cadillac, and he saw that the plates were expired and that he didn't have a license or insurance. So he then patted him down, put him in the back of the car. He was not handcuffed or anything. Um, he asked the cemetery employees if he could just like leave Terrence's Cadillac there for now, and they said yes. So he left with Terrence in the back seat, and the cemetery employees said that he returned somewhere between 15 and 45 minutes later to move the car from where it was parked at the cemetery to the side of the road. And then he just left the keys to the vehicle on the ground, and Terrence was not with him. So when Terrence didn't return home the next day, his roommate became concerned, and he contacted Terrence's mom, who then filed a missing persons report with the CCSO. And they asked to speak with Calkins several times. So after Terrence's mother went to investigate the cemetery where his car was towed from, she was able to find the name of the officer who'd last seen him, and she reported it to the CCSO. 
And they had no idea what she was talking about because they had no record of anything happening. Like nothing was called in. There was no arrest record, citation record, nothing. He told dispatch that he didn't even remember what happened. And this was his story to investigators. He said that instead of arresting him or giving him a citation, he actually dropped Williams off at a nearby Circle K. He said that was where Williams claimed to have worked. And he explained his reasoning for returning to the cemetery for Williams' vehicle was because he said that Williams said that he had a valid registration in the glove compartment. So Calkins was just going back to retrieve that. He said that when he went back to check, this wasn't true and that Terrence had deceived him. So he called Circle K because, you know, he thought Terrence worked there um, and asked to speak with him. And he said that the clerk told him he wasn't there and didn't work there. So Calkin said that after this, he called in the plates reporting that they were expired. But there was no evidence of this, like I said. So, like, he really never called them in. There's also no evidence of him ever even calling Circle K. What? Right? Isn't that? Sketch. Sketch. Super sus. I don't like that at all. When witnesses and employees at the Circle K were interviewed, they said they never saw any of this happening and that they definitely would have remembered if a cop showed up and just dropped someone off. There was also no record of either of them ever appearing on any surveillance footage in the area. So it's not looking good for Mr. Calkins yet. Sure isn't. After Calkins left Williams' vehicle on the side of the road near the cemetery, he called dispatch and just told them that it was an abandoned vehicle. Later, he told dispatch that he had no recollection of having any cars towed that day. So after all of this mess, Terrence's mother filed a complaint against him on January 28, 2004. He is getting his stories all twisted because he's saying he didn't report this, he did report this, he didn't report this. They have no record of anything anywhere between the sheriff's office and Circle K and the cemetery. He was trying to say that he didn't know the guy's first and last name too, but you ran his plates. So clearly you did know his first and last name. So I want to talk about him for a second. He had been working for CCSO ever since 1987, and he was described as a decorated veteran, great worker, amazing guy, They said that he gave CPR to someone who was suffering from cardiac arrest one time and saved their life, and that uh, one time he lifted a vehicle off of a man to save him from suffocation. Like, this guy was a freaking hero, god complex, whatever. So he has a wife and three children, and yeah, he'd been working there for, at this point, like 17 years. That was very quick math, and it might have been wrong. I was just about to say, geez, mathematish. If it was, I'm sure someone would let us know, but... They're going to be like, actually, it was 16.4567. One star. <laughs> so when he told the sheriff's office that he had no idea what this woman was talking about, that he had never pulled anyone over, never had a vehicle towed, he wasn't worried because he knew with his impeccable pass as a deputy that they would believe him. In fact... He recently had just gone through a very similar investigation in which he had been cleared just a few days prior to this incident. So three months before this, a man named Felipe Santos, Santos Santos, went missing and Calkins was the last one seen with him as well. You know what? I don't like the way this is sounding. So let's talk about Felipe. 
Is somebody drag racing in Chicago right now? Sister, <laughs> that is a sound that never ends. I don't know where these cars are finding the room to be driving that fast and that loud down the road, but they are always doing it. And I don't understand how, because there are people in cars everywhere in Chicago. Someone was straight up just drag racing down your road. It, li- it literally happens nonstop. It can't. Nonstop. Anyway, don't understand. Tell me about Felipe, please. Yes. So he was born on January 1st, 1979 in Oaxaca, Mexico. He was the second oldest of five boys. In 2000, he moved to the United States and he began working in Florida as an undocumented immigrant on farms and construction sites. He was doing this because he wanted to provide for his family and he was sending the majority of the money that he was making back to them, like his immediate family, like his parents, brothers, to his wife um, and their daughter. Mm. So on the morning of October 14, 2003, he did not feel well. His wife said that he should stay home if he was sick, but... Felipe, like I said, he's such a hard worker. He was not about to miss a day of work, so he went anyway. That would not happen in today. Mm-mm. In today. Heck no. Not in today. In today's world. That's what I meant. I have, like, my brain. <laughs> I feel like this this coffee is definitely waking me up, but, like, the, the circuits, they're not, not connecting yet. So, yeah, like I said, he went to work anyway. He was not about to miss a day of work, and he drove with two of his brothers to a construction site. They worked there, too, and on the way there, they ended up colliding with another vehicle near a shopping center in North Naples. So he and the other driver just pulled into the parking lot of the shopping center, and they just started to exchange information. Deputy Calkins was dispatched to the scene of the accident. I don't like it. No, and just remember, this is... um, just a few months before the incident with Terrence. So this happened in October of 2003. Terrence's incident happened at the beginning of January. Okay. So just a few months. So Deputy Calkins issued citations for reckless driving and driving without a license or insurance. Felipe was then put into the back of Calkins' patrol car and never seen again. What? Yeah. What the hell, man? Yep. So later that day, Felipe's brothers called the jail to post his bail because, you know, Calkins put him in the back of the car. They assumed he just went to jail and they were told that he was never booked. Shut up. Mm -hmm. So they were like, what the hell? Yeah. Mm -mm. When he was asked where Felipe was, Calkins said that he was being very polite and cooperative. So he just let him go. No. He said, well, listen to this. Coincidentally. He said that he dropped Felipe off at a nearby Circle K. Shut up. Mm-hmm. You're you're fucking with me right now. Nope. So the brothers filed a complaint against him, which launched an investigation. But like I said before, he was quickly cleared just days before the incident with Terrence Williams. There's something about these cases where people are getting cleared days before certain items are happening. And it's making me pissed off. Yeah, Because imagine if he wasn't and he'd been fired. I feel like if you are under investigation, though, why are you still on duty? I feel like there should be like a pause. Like you get a little vacay or something. There should be more than a Cause pause. Because this could have saved a man's life. Yeah. Allegedly saved a man's life. Allegedly it happened in my head. So fast forward after the disappearance of Terrence Williams. Calkins is overheard talking to dispatch, making racist remarks suspected to have been talking about Terrence Williams. 
He was telling them about what he referred to as a homie Cadillac blocking the road. Although he said that he moved the vehicle to the side of the road himself. So there you go with your conflicting stories. Yeah. In August of 2004, he was fired for deception because he took a few polygraphs in the process of these investigations and one did show deception. So he was fired for that, for use of derogatory language and for conflicting stories regarding the vehicle and the fact that he called dispatch to ask for a background check on Williams, but he claimed in the investigation he didn't know his name. Also for being negligent and not following procedure. He tried to appeal this, but it was dismissed. Thank God. Thank God. To this day, Calkins remains his innocence and no evidence has ever been found linking him to either disappearance, nor has any evidence been found pointing to what might have happened to these two men. He moved away to Cedar Rapids after his dismissal, which I just cannot believe that he had absolutely nothing to do with it if there is no other trace of anything leading to these two men. There is absolutely nothing. I'm not freaking buying it, honestly. So on August 30th, 2018, Terrence's mother, with the help of Tyler Perry, yes, Tyler Perry, filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Hawkins. The court said that there was not- The Tyler Perry? Yes, the Tyler Perry. He advocated very, very hard for these cases. Okay, cool. Yeah. He put up a $100,000 reward for any information. He ended up doubling it to $200,000. Oh my God, amazing. So amazing. Unfortunately, the court said that there was not enough evidence to show that Calkins had anything to do with William's death, nor was there enough evidence to even show that he, he was dead in the first place. Although it definitely painted Calkins in a bad light, the evidence was circumstantial at best, which, I mean, they were trying to say that it was a wrongful death lawsuit and you don't have a body. That's, you're not going to be, you're not going to have a case. Yeah. Which is so unfortunate. Under Florida law, Felipe is actually presumed dead. If you do have any information regarding the disappearances, please contact the Collier County Sheriff's Office at 800-780-8477 or Crime Stoppers at 1-800-780-TIPS. Or you can email a tip or call the Q Center 24-hour tip line at 910-232-1687. Now... Obviously, with our disappearances, missing persons cases, it's kind of hard to build a profile. So, you know, I always like to talk about some theories and then I like to go into some research. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about theories. Let's do it. The first one would be that Calkins had nothing to do with their disappearances and he was telling the absolute truth. So then what happened to the men? Well... You have to think that both men were wanted in this case and they wanted to avoid arrest. They got really lucky with Calkins because he let them go. So people are assuming maybe Felipe fled back to Mexico and Terrence was just in hiding. I have a problem with this theory because I just think it's naive. I don't believe that Terrence has just been hiding for the past, what, 17 years, whatever. And the fact that he has four children, he took this huge step, moved to Florida because he wanted to provide for them. You think he's just going to go all this time without providing for his children? Like, what What would he be doing? Yeah. I just, I don't that, buy that. Yeah, that makes no sense whatsoever. Other theory. He just straight up murdered them, which he's a police officer. He knows, I mean, I'm assuming that he would know how to get away with this type of thing. 
I am assuming the same thing that you are assuming. Um, and I think I agree with this theory probably the most. There is another theory that I think could be possible as well. Either way, I think that Calkins is connected, had something to do with the disappearances, whether he murdered them or another theory is that he left them somewhere for them to succumb to the elements, which I do want to talk about an instance of this happening. What was known as the Saskatoon freezing deaths, which is when this is like Canada. So when Saskatoon police in the early 2000s would arrest indigenous, mostly men, for drunkenness, disorderly conduct, sometimes for no reason at all. And they would drive them to the edge of the city in the dead of night, dead of winter. They would take their clothes and just abandon them. What? And so they would like freeze to death. This is a real thing? So this was a practice. Yes, it was a practice referred to as starlight tours. And this dated all the way back to 1976. None of the officers involved in this have been convicted of these deaths, although they have been convicted of related offenses. So this obviously does happen. Please do this. That makes me mad. Possible. If he didn't murder them, maybe he did this because he didn't want to say he murdered them. He just left them to die, you know? Either way, like, what the hell? I know. So messed up. And, I mean, the fact that they, you know, they did this just to indigenous men, um, sometimes women, and sometimes for no reason at all. Clearly, this is, like, a racist yes. act of racism. 100%. So... People are also thinking that these two men might not be the only victims of Stephen Calkins if it is true that he had something to do with their disappearances. So I was going through web sleuths and people were looking into another case very similar, same exact sheriff's office like Collier County. It's a black man. Um, I think this was in the late 90s. He the same pretty much same exact situation happened. Um, but there's nothing that has to do with Calkins, like no record of anything, but you have to remember like with these two situations, there was no record of Mm -hmm. anything with them either. So yeah, they're theorizing maybe he had other victims. They were trying to connect other cases. Um, they were also working really hard to look at John Doe's and connect it to maybe Felipe if he really was deceased. Yeah. Um, so that was really awesome. I love web sleuths. Um, I think it's amazing. But like I said, like nothing has come of this. There's no evidence, no nothing. There's literally nothing to go off of besides the connection to Steve Calkins and the cases were closed. I don't, there's petitions to open them back up. I mean, he knows something. Someone else might know something. I don't know, but something happened. I would have to agree with that. And it's like, I don't know if they ever did any type of search. I didn't read about any formal type of search, but like in the radius, you have to be able to find some type of radius between the cemetery and that circle K that he was talking about and search somewhere in there for bodies, somewhere around there. I I don't know if they did anything. Why was it always circle K? I know. Isn't that weird? Like what was this thing with circle K? I'm trying to think to myself too, something had to be done to the bodies in order for them to like, people find bones. You know what I'm trying to say? I know. Like, what happened to I the mean, bodies? I mean, but, like, think if something if something is buried, like, and no one's looking, um, it's not going to be found. You know, I never thought about burying. And 
we have to remember he's a police officer. He's going to think of things that we can't think of. Yeah. He's going to have methods that we don't. Yeah. Damn him. So very, very unfortunate. And I mean, it is upsetting. I feel like in the last two years, we have seen a lot of situations that do involve police and injustice and just kind of the system working to benefit them. It's very hard for them to get a conviction. Um, When it comes to civil suits, it is almost impossible. True. I just want to talk about some of the history of policing and Mm -hmm. some reform. I know I've brought up the statistic, but in 2020, more than 540,000 people went reported missing. So remember that these are just the people that are reporting. And a lot of unreported missing people are going to be minorities. 37% of those were people of color. Very annoying, but Hispanics are included with white in terms of race. So I cannot give you an accurate percentage of Hispanics when it comes to this data. That's not correct. Isn't that so strange? And it's been that way for at least a few years. It's so infuriating because I was trying to get some numbers from any year in the last like five years and I couldn't because it's always grouped together. Okay. So I did find that in 2019, they made up 12% of missing people. But at this time, Hispanics only made up 18% of the U.S. population. So that is huge. That's huge. Yeah. But this is nothing new. Some people think that racism in policing is a more recent issue just because it's been spoken about so much more in the last two years. But the truth is the police system is a system that was built on systemic racism. The difference is that people are finally speaking out against it. Much of law enforcement history was built on enforcing laws that were made to control the slaves, black people. Some of the first police units were slave patrols, which were vigilantes who captured people who had escaped from slavery. After the slaves were freed, police units continued to participate in and enforce lynchings of black people and enforce the Jim Crow laws, which were rules that were created to enforce segregation and prevent black people from gaining economic independence, taking public transportation, voting, having access to proper housing and schooling, and even being able to get married. Then into the 90s with the war on drugs, broken windows, and zero tolerance policies of policing, these were ultimately used to target black and low-income communities and led to the disproportionate use of search tactics. So like stop and frisk. During these times, spend on police was so high that it hurt other programs, including social and health services, which put more pressure on police to do things that they didn't know how to do. So I know we talk all the time about how police are being called to things that mental health professionals could handle, and there's a lot more of this happening today. But, you know, before this was a thing, they were being looked at to provide all of these services and do things that were way above their pay grade. So they were essentially the only public resources, but they obviously weren't trained to do all those things. Like you cannot learn to be eight different professions. They were police officers. Their job was to protect and serve and, you know. And protect and serve. (laughs) Yeah. 
This is why in recent years, like I said, there has been a movement to take excess funds from the police and reallocate them to other community programs that can help in ways that police cannot. For example, mental health programs. Major cities like LA and New York use over a third of their overall city budgets just for police. They're trying to reduce budgets by less than a percent, supposedly moving in the right direction. New York spends more money on police than they do on the Department of Health, homeless services, housing preservation and development, and youth and community development combined. Wow. So think of how much money that is for New York, which is freaking huge. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. I didn't know that. While public safety should always be given an adequate amount of spend, it's too much. And money is being taken away from other programs that could be used to prevent crime, such as programs and agencies that can provide affordable housing and programs to help at-risk youth or people with substance abuse problems. If we have the money for programs that keep people out of situations that they may commit crimes in, we don't need to be giving police this much money and this much power. They, they aren't supposed to be looked at as mental health professionals or health professionals in general. They would be able to focus their efforts on criminal calls. So this issue is slowly improving around the U.S. In the last year, many cities have made the change to redirect millions from school and city police to other programs, mainly mental health programs. A study of police shootings in 2016 showed that over a quarter of victims in these cases were displaying signs of mental illness and a need for medical or psychological care. In cases where the victim is alive, they almost always end up in a cell rather than a treatment center. And the same is very similar for the homeless. Police encounters with homeless almost always end in arrest or citations. According to a psychiatric services study by Lawrence Roy, of homeless people with mental health conditions, anywhere from 62 to 90% of them will be arrested. They might end up in jail, not in treatment or housing, and thus begins the cycle of incarceration that doesn't benefit either party. Instead of continuing this broken cycle, we can use mental health professionals and community housing services to alleviate these issues and keep more homeless people off the streets. Yes, we can. For non-criminal issues involving mental health, Mental health providers and EMTs are called to handle things such as dispute resolutions, homelessness, intoxication, substance abuse, and disorientation. At the end of the day, police cannot be trained to be as efficient and knowledgeable as possible about every single issue that may lead to criminal activity. Redirecting money from police departments to mental health, homelessness, drug and alcohol rehabilitation, and community outreach services would not only reduce the number of confrontations involving police, but lead to significantly better outcomes for individuals and communities and deliver better value for money. So this model has shown success in over 20 cities where it's been implemented so far. Denver started the STAR program, which stands for Support Team Assistance Response, in June of last year. They saw very promising results after just six months of the program, which aimed to provide a very person-centric mobile crisis response, they said, to community members who are experiencing problems related to mental health, poverty, homelessness, or substance abuse issues. So over the first six months, Denver received more than 2,500 emergency calls that fell into their program's category, and the the STAR team was able to respond to 748 of those calls. Wow. No calls required the assistance of police, and no one was arrested. Approximately 68% of people contacted were experiencing homelessness, and there were mental health concerns in 61% of the cases. They saw a reduction in the need for police as well, leaving them more hands to respond to criminal complaints. 
that is badass. Yeah, so there's a huge misconception when it comes to the phrase defunding the police. It makes it sound like people just want to get rid of the police and take away all their money. Yeah. But if we take some of the huge, ridiculous spend and put it in these programs, they're going to be able to respond more to these criminal calls. They're going to have more time on their hands and there's going to be more officers available. So really, we're helping. The Denver Star program is modeled after Eugene, Oregon's CAHOOTS program, a community policing initiative that was launched all the way back in 1989. So they've been doing this for over 20 years. Wow. In 2019, they responded to about 20% of 911 calls. CAHOOTS says the program saves the city about $8.5 million in public safety costs every year, plus another $14 million in ambulance trips and ER costs. So that's another big thing is not only are you saving time and resources, but you're saving all of this money as well. That's awesome. It is important to note here that there is no one size fits all solution for every city because every city is going to see different levels of these pertinent issues, which will ultimately dictate where the money goes. Mm -hmm. Oakland, this is crazy for me to think. They were using over half of their city's budget for police, which beat out spend on human services, parks and rec, and transportation combined. Oh my gosh. So crazy. But this year, the city voted to reallocate over $18 million from police to fund violence protection programs and other social services, including a program called MACRO, which is the Mobile Assistance Community Responders of Oakland, a non-police program that provides assistance in mental health crises. It will also contribute to affordable housing programs and improve more than 100 temporary housing units. A community intervention specialist, emergency medical technician, and case manager would respond to nonviolent crisis calls rather than a police officer. This would simultaneously free police to respond to violent crimes, says Vice Mayor Rebecca Kaplan at the September launch of the program. So they decided at the beginning of the year, and then finally in the middle of September, they were ready to launch. That's awesome. Austin PD cut its budget by about a third, reallocating about $153 million to emergency medical services for COVID, community medics, mental health first responders, services for homeless people, substance abuse programs, food access, workforce development, abortion services, victim support, parks, and more. Wow. $153 million was being used for police, which was only a third, and then was moved to benefit all of those programs. That is insane. That is wild. I can't even believe that. Another cool thing that they're doing is they're using funds to buy two hotels to help house the homeless. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Councilman Gregorio Cesar says that for decades, Austin has spent so many dollars policing homelessness, jailing the homeless, and paying for emergency rooms and 911 calls instead of reinvesting those same dollars to finally start reducing homelessness. Um, So he was one of the council members who pushed for the reallocation of those funds. He said that by adjusting the police budget, even just a little bit, we're able to house and help hundreds of people with these two hotels, and I hope we'll be able to buy more. I agree. They started redirecting 911 calls to mental health professionals as well, and they also took some of those reallocated funds to benefit victims who'd been neglected and mistreated by law enforcement, which I thought was awesome. Yeah, that's cool. This is not the result of a few bad apples, a theory surrounding police brutality stating that 
these are just isolated incidents and better training and weeding out of these bad apples will lead to reform. But at the end of the day, you'll really never be able to weed out the bad apples. Like there's always going to be them or there's always going to be people covering for their behaviors and crimes who in turn make themselves bad apples as well. This is just the result of a system that was historically built on systemic racism and the system itself needs to change and a new one needs to be built in its place with its roots planted in putting the community's needs first for people of all ethnicities, sexual orientations, socioeconomic status, whatever. I don't care what it is, but it needs to benefit everyone. John Oliver says this perfectly himself. If you're not directly impacted by it, it's tempting to look for a reason to feel better about the world, to look at a picture of cops kneeling and think, oh, well, we just need more of that, but we need so much more of that because ours is a firmly entrenched system in which the roots of white supremacy run deep, and it is critical that we all grab a fucking shovel. Yeah, let's all grab fucking shovels. I love that, but just something I wanted to touch on. You, 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 know. you sure went in. You touched on I, it. I did go in there. <laughs> you didn't touch. You grabbed that. I grabbed that fucking shovel. <laughs> you grabbed that fucking shovel. <laughs> no, that was all um, really good information. A lot of that I really yeah. did. I had no idea. And honestly, I'm so much more smarter now. But see, that's the thing. I feel like a lot of people don't really understand what these changes are and like how they benefit everyone, including the police. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these cities say that it has to be a symbiotic relationship between these programs and the police because they need to work together or it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. And by working together, they are benefiting each other, which is so true. Yeah. Like, we don't want to get rid of the police. We just want to create a system that works to benefit everyone involved. Yeah. We're not going to get rid of the police. You freaks. <laughs> we need them but i just wanted to talk about it because i feel like it's misconstrued misconceived whatever I, some people might not know or understand the reality of it or even where police even came from um so yeah but once our website is updated <laughs> we'll have a bunch of resources on there for you guys to look at um, we'll have some petitions for you to sign to reopen these cases to divert these police funds to community programs and if you guys have any questions or comments or anything I don't know why I just said that no just let us know if they got yeah if they got questions we can answer them yeah we can answer them and if you're, you know, on the website, you might as well submit a case, buy us a coffee, whatever you feel like doing on that website, just do it. Yeah. If you are outside of the U.S. and you're on our website and you don't submit a case, I'm going to be very upset. I mean, she'll never know that you did not do that, but we will, in theory. Be I will. <laughs> in I'm tracking you. No, you're not. <laughs> Please don't be scared of Erica. She's. She's had one too many cups of coffee. We forgive her. We've all been there. I know it sounds like I go rogue every single week, but I do have a working list. Okay? I do have a list. And I will do cases on this list. I have a Chicago one I want to do. I have I have a female Ooh, criminal I want to do. Love that. That Nate came up Nate came up with a great way to spin it research-wise for me. Ooh. 
but I'm trying to add some other countries in here. So let us know. You know what? I've decided. My next case. What? Not a U.S. case. Next week. Just throw a pin on a map and wherever it lands. That's where it's going to (laughs) be. No, but for real. I am going to throw out the case that I've already... Well, I'm not throwing it out. I'm putting on the back burner. She's just going on the back burner. I am going to change it up, and I'm going to do a case that's not in the U.S. For you guys, for the continent. For Do it for the continents. And also... <laughs> and also the Swedish. <laughs> for them. Yeah, the Swedes are up there. They're like one of our top, our top groups of listeners. Got U.S., Australia, U.K., and then I think it's... Sweden? Yeah. Fun fact, when I was at camp growing up, we each had to pick a country, almost like an Olympics, and I picked Sweden. If you guys do want to submit a case, you can go directly to our website, crimeoncaffeine.com, scroll down to the bottom and submit a case there. You can also just go ahead and DM us on Instagram or Twitter at crimeoncaffeine. Got a Facebook too if you want to shoot us a Facebook message. I don't know if people still do that. Or you can just send us a good old email, crimeoncaffeine at gmail.com. Yeah, everything is just crime on caffeine. So do what you got to do. Thank you guys so much for your continued support. As we said in the beginning of the podcast episode, we are just over the freaking moon with y'all. We just yeah. love it. Thank you so much. You guys are amazing. Your feedback is amazing. Your support is amazing. You are amazing. Wow. <laughs> that was good. She's she's very nice right now. Thanks. Am I not normally very nice? No, you're always nice. I just said right now because that was very nice. Okay, the, cool. The thing you just said. Cool. Speaking of very nice, if you're feeling that very nice and you want to buy us a coffee, you can check out the links in our Instagram bio, and it's right there. Or if you go onto our website, it'll pop up for you. And we really appreciate you guys doing that for us because... As long as you guys keep telling the world about the show, supporting us, we'll be able to keep making these episodes for you. And, you know, hopefully one day we'll be able to do even more than we're doing now. Exactly. Maybe one day we'll make our own coffee. Can you imagine? Oh, my God. Can that'd be you? so cool. I was I just know, talking I just like Patreon or something, but like that would be <laughs> cool, too. <laughs> that would be so cool. Um, now my ideas. my mind is just spinning. The ideas are so, brewing. Yeah. Oh my gosh, they're brewing like coffee. We have to go, guys. We have to go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We will catch you next Wednesday. Adios. Bye.